read the first eight verses of Romans chapter 1 to start with tonight, and we'll look at several more verses as we go through uh, this, really, this book of the Bible. Uh, Romans chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom also we have, or by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Um, among whom, I'm sorry, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Lord, we're grateful to be in your presence tonight. We're thankful to be in your house. We're grateful to be able to freely uh, open your word and, and to meet to declare it without fear of being interrupted by government. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the freedom that we have. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would, again, speak to our hearts today in a special way. I pray that uh, you would do a work in our hearts. And I pray, Lord, all of us would make decisions to strengthen our commitment to you and to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So in the series that we're going through, Marks of a Healthy Church, basically what we're doing is going through the different New Testament churches that uh, Paul wrote to and, and ultimately that Jesus wrote to uh, in the book of Revelation. We'll get to uh, probably starting next, uh, next Sunday night. Uh, but uh, we're going to look here at, um, we, we've looked at several different of these churches. We've looked at the church at Thessalonica. We've looked at the church at Colossae, the church at Philippi. We looked at the very first church of Jerusalem and learned lessons from each of these churches, uh, some qualities that we need to uh, input into our own church uh, that God commends, and, and uh, we want to try to take what God says is good and, and uh, make sure that we have that same quality in our church. Um, this, is a, this, is, it, this series is, instead of looking at maybe successful churches here in our culture and saying, well, what do they have? Uh, that, that, that's working. Um, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but if that's our only basis, um, then that's a, a pretty pragmatic uh, way to, to, to do church. So we're trying to look at what God says, because it's His church, right? It's not ours. It's, it's not mine. It's not yours. It's not ours. It's, it's His. Um, so we want to look at His Word to find out what He says a church should look like. And it the, the characteristics of a good church. So tonight, we're going to look at uh, the church at Rome. Last Sunday night, remember, we, we looked at the church is of Galatia, and uh, tonight we're going to look at the church at Rome. Um, so just quick background here on, uh, on the book of Romans and, and this church here in, in Rome. Uh, of course, the book of Romans is, um, boy, if you could, there, there's no way to say that one book is, is more important than the other books of the Bible. They're all very important. Um, but uh, Romans is really Paul's masterpiece. Um, someone said it's a key that unlocks the door to vast treasures of Scripture. 
People who have read and studied this epistle cannot find words sufficient to describe its worth. Um, Someone said it's the most profound book in existence. Uh, Someone else said it's the cathedral of the Christian faith. And uh, Martin Luther said it's uh, the book of Romans is the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel. And uh, someone else said uh, it's a a thorough study of this epistle is really a theological education in itself. Uh, The uniqueness of the book of Romans is not not for its telling a different gospel or new teaching, but for its spelling out the ABCs of the gospel of salvation in Christ in clear, full scope so that there can be no question concerning any aspect of that gospel. So this book is an important book in the Bible. I mean, again, it's hard to say that one is more important than the other, but but the book of Romans is, is right up there with, one, with the most important because it does clearly define the gospel. Now, Paul wrote the, uh, the book of Romans um, from Corinth toward the end of his third missionary journey uh, around A.D. Uh, 56. And uh, when Paul wrote this letter, Rome was the largest and most important city of the entire world at that time. The estimated population of Rome at that point when Paul wrote this book um, was one to four million people. So that's kind of a big uh, range there, but, uh, but scholars agree that it was at least one million and maybe even up to four million people in one city. And uh, back then, that was, that was a big population. Just to give it perspective, the entire state of Montana had one million people in it, the entire state. Of Montana, not one, not one city, one one state, and uh, and so it's pretty amazing how many people did indeed live in uh, the city of Rome. Uh, the um, Emperor Nero had just begun to rule at the point when Paul wrote this book, and uh, anti-Christian persecutions had not yet uh, quite begun. The city's population was made up of the usual mixture of a large city, wealth, poverty, capitalism, slavery, citizens. Aliens, religion, worldliness. And there was a large number of Jews living in Rome at the time, for about a dozen synagogues were located throughout the entire city. Now, this letter was addressed to the saints in Rome, those who had been saved, those who had come to Christ. And uh, it was a mixed group of Jews and Gentiles. And uh, probably the Gentiles formulated the majority of the church. There were some Jews there that had come to Christ, but uh, mostly Gentiles. Uh, these Christians had migrated to Rome from various parts of, of uh, the known world at that time. And uh, some, no doubt, were converts of Paul and Peter's ministries. And it's possible also that that included in the number of visitors from Rome in Acts chapter 2, verse 10, who had been present at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and had returned to Rome with the message of Christ. So, um, and Paul had not yet visited the church at Rome when he wrote the epistle. He wanted to. That's one of the reasons he wrote the book was to say, I want to come to you. Uh, I've heard about your church, and I want to come visit, and I want to come minister to you and be a blessing. And so um, that's a little bit of the background of the book, and uh, what we're going to do this, this evening is, is uh, I want to share five qualities of a healthy church that we learned from the church at Rome. Now, the first quality is one that the church already possessed as he wrote this book. And, and the other four are ones that Paul later challenges them to add to their church, to make sure that they had these qualities uh, in, their, in their church. And uh, qualities, of course, that we want to try to 
make sure that are a part of Cornerstone Baptist Church as well. And so the first one, again, is one that Paul said, this is one that you possess and one that uh, we should try to possess as well as, as, as a church here at Cornerstone. So first of all, here's the first quality of a healthy church uh, or marks of a healthy church. Uh, a healthy church, first of all, is willing to share their faith. A healthy church is willing to share their faith. Look again in verse number 8 of uh, Romans chapter 1. He said, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Um, that is an amazing statement. That is powerful to know that their faith had make it, made it a really around the world. Now, as Paul writes this to this church, the one thing that sticks out in his mind about this church is the fact that their faith is widely known. In fact, it is, it is known so far as to basically the whole world knew about this church at Rome and their faith that they had uh, expressed and that they had shared. See, here was a church that had shared their faith effectively. And uh, I want to encourage our church to be a church that shares their faith effectively. Uh, now, I, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that uh, people around the world need to hear about our faith, but why not? Uh, we can do that. Uh, technology makes it a lot easier than it used to be back in the days when the book of Romans was written. And if the church at Rome could do that without the technology, how much more could uh, God use us with the technology and the means to get the gospel out? Um, and we can do this, obviously, uh, several different ways. First of all, through our missions program. And our church has the privilege of supporting uh, 48 missionaries uh, financially. And uh, I'm so thankful for that. And it was a blessing this past Monday to call the three missionary families to notify them that they are now part of our missions family here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. Through a call last Sunday night, we took a church vote to take on uh, three missionary families. And uh, it passed, and so I got to call them. And boy, that was a joy on Monday morning to uh, share that with these families. And all three of them were jumping for joy and excited, uh, not just for the financial support. That's important, and they were thankful for that. But the fact that they're uh, they know that we're going to be behind them and support them through prayer and knowing what's going on in their ministries. And so they're, they're very excited about that. So in our giving, we can, uh, we're really sharing our faith and reaching the world for Christ uh, through our giving and through our praying, but also through our individual witness. Once again, our, I want to remind us tonight that as a church, one of our purposes as a church is to evangelize this world, and that includes our own Jerusalem. That includes the city of Moore, the city of Norman, Oklahoma City. Wherever you live, you and I are called to reach that area for Christ. Um, and again, this isn't just, well, pastor, absolutely, that's your job. You should be doing that. Yes, it is my job, but not because I'm a pastor. Not because I have a Bible college education. Not because I've been ordained to the ministry. Not for any of those reasons. It is my job because I am a Christian. That is why it's my job. And can I encourage you? Look, you may not have a Bible college education. You may not be ordained to the ministry. That doesn't matter. If you're a Christian, you have been given the job and the responsibility to get the gospel out into our community. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, 
Uh, if you want to just kind of hold your place there in Romans and, and uh, head over to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, or I want to show you a, a quick uh, passage. Um, verse number 18, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. In this passage here, Paul's telling the church at Corinth that, look, you have been given a ministry, not just to the preachers, not just to the you may be deacons or, or, or those who, you know, feel like that's their spiritual gift. No, this is for everybody has this ministry of reconciliation. You say, well, look, I just serve in the nursery. I just do this. That's my ministry. Yes, but you've also been given another ministry, and that is the ministry of reconciliation. And that's the ministry of getting the gospel out and, and reconciling people to God. It's an amazing ministry. If you've ever had the privilege of sharing the gospel with someone and seeing them come to Christ, it's a, it's a wonderful experience. Um, it's a joy that is hard to describe. God calls us all to do that. And, and one of the attributes of this healthy church here in Rome was that they had a, had a faith that was spoken of throughout the whole world. They effectively shared their faith. And uh, I want our church to be a church that effectively is willing to share our faith with those around us. That we don't just, uh, we're not incognito Christians. That uh, no one would know that we're Christians unless, it, you know, at our funeral, oh, they were a Christian. I didn't realize that. No, it should be very evident and we should be very open about our faith and bold. Uh, I think about at Romans chapter 1, if you kind of flip back over there. Uh, look in verse number 14 here. Paul is giving his personal testimony and he says, Look, I am, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much in me as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. He's like, I am itching to get the gospel out. Are you itching to get the gospel out? Or do, does it have to be, you know, the... You know, the what are the, the, the jaws of life? Is that what it's called? Is that what it takes to get the gospel out of you? Or are you like, it's bubbling out and you just, it oozes out of you. Um, what does it take to get the gospel out of you? Paul said, I am itching to get the gospel. And he said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Oh, it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the first a quality we find here of a healthy church in the, in, the, in the church at Rome is that they were willing to share their faith. When God looks at Cornerstone Baptist Church, does he see a church that's willing to share their faith? I hope that I am, but it's not going to be just if I am. We all need to be willing to share our faith uh, with our coworkers, with our uh, neighbors, with all those around us. And so I want to encourage us along those lines. Secondly, a healthy church is willing to sacrifice. And for this, we're going to head over to Romans chapter number 12. 
Um, between Romans chapter 1 and chapter 12 is a whole lot of doctrinal truth that is absolutely critical to study and to understand. Uh, salvation is mentioned there, and, and the, the Christian life. And, and uh, you know, when, when Paul says, um, look, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things I end up doing. And the battle that we have with the flesh is all mentioned in those, uh, those chapters. Those are excellent chapters, and uh, I want to take time to study those together as a church down the road. But tonight, we'll, uh, we'll hit the more practical parts of it um, here in chapter number 12. And verse number 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. A healthy church here is willing to sacrifice. And Paul says, look, when you understand the mercies of God, when you understand all that God has done to provide a way of salvation for us, uh, it, it, we should be willing to do this. Um, he said, which is your reasonable service. Now, can I just remind us tonight, too, that the Christian life was never promised to be a life of ease and comfort. Jesus, it was Jesus who said this in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus wasn't asking us to do something that he wasn't first willing to do himself. Jesus isn't saying, hey, I want you to sacrifice, but I'm not willing to sacrifice. Absolutely not. You know, he was the ultimate example in what sacrifice looks like when he died on the cross for our sins. And he was completely innocent. He didn't do a single thing wrong, and yet he took our place and suffered great, great, um, he suffered greatly for us. He was willing to sacrifice for you and for me. And so nothing that uh, God asks us to do is really uh, too much of a sacrifice for him. It's David Livingston, who was a Scottish minister, uh, missionary and explorer who spent 35 years in the heart of Africa. He endured much suffering as he labored to spread the gospel, and uh, he began to open the continent to, to missionaries. And this uh, godly missionary, uh, Brother Livingston, once said this. He said, people... Talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that really be called a sacrifice, which is simply paid back as a small part of a great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say, rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now, and then with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in and for us. I, I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. See, David Livingston understood that Yes, he, he gave his life to serve the Lord, but he didn't call it a sacrifice whatsoever when compared to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. 
It was John Henry Jowett who said, Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. I don't know that we need to add cost just so that hopefully it accomplishes something. Uh, But the point here is that if we're not willing to sacrifice, then we're not going to be willing to accomplish much for Him. And so by God's grace, I as the pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church am going to continue to encourage each of us to sacrifice for the Lord in the days ahead. I really believe that at the end, uh, when we face the Lord, we're all going to wish we had sacrificed more for Christ and for His cause. Now, we're not going to say, whoa, I, I guess I sacrificed a little too much there. Now, I'm not saying we need to sacrifice uh, our families, uh, but financially, but uh, our time and uh, our energy and our talents. Are we willing to sacrifice to the Lord? Paul said, look, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is not too much to ask. In fact, it is our reasonable service. So the second uh, mark of a healthy church is a church willing to sacrifice. Uh, what are you wanting to just hold on to? Um, and, and God's saying, why don't you give it up? Why don't you give it up? And I would hope all of us are willing to sacrifice for him because he has given so much for us. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Not, well, Jesus paid it all, and I'm glad I get to go to heaven, and I get to keep everything that I have. Um, and that's the way a lot of Christians want, want everything to be. They want their salvation, and then they want everything else. And uh, sacrifice is not part of their vocabulary. That's a bad word to them. Uh, no, we need to be willing to sacrifice. So the second mark of a healthy church is they're willing to sacrifice. Thirdly, a healthy church is willing to separate from the world. A healthy church is willing to separate from the world. And this is found in verse number 2 of Romans chapter 12. By the way, we're not going to go through each one of these verses um, because we could be here all night. There's a litany of things that, um, of attributes. We're just going to kind of pick out a few of the major ones uh, tonight. But But this is a major one. A healthy church is willing to separate from the world. Verse number two. Paul says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, We're here called to uh, not be conformed to this world. Uh, Look in uh, verse verse number nine as well. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Now, it's interesting to note is that as one looks at the modern church movement today, uh, the more time goes on, the more the church looks like the world. It sounds like the world, and the more the church does what the world does. But God has called us to be separate from the world. Yes, we live in the world, but we must be careful to... Not let the world live in us. Someone said a a ship is safe in the ocean as long as the ocean is not in the ship. And the same thing is true with us. Yes, we live in the world. There's no escaping that. I'm not trying to say we all need to go and, you know, get a cabin out in the mountains and live off grid and and, uh, just be reclusive Christians. Uh, that, That goes against what we just talked about at point number one. 
getting the faith out there, uh, witnessing and, and uh, being a blessing and shining our light uh, to a lost world. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. Uh, we're going kind of flipping back to uh, 2 Corinthians here. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 17 uh, we're reminded here, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And so the question is, okay, so I go to school with unsaved people. I work with unsaved people. I, I live near unsaved people. What should I do? Again, the answer is not go sell your house and go move into you know, the remote parts of this world where uh, you're by yourself and Look, God's not calling us to be monks. God's calling us to be lights and witnesses for Him. But we've taken that and start walking like the world and talking like the world, and we've got to be careful to find the balance there where we're reaching the world, but we're not becoming the world. Uh, the problem with our churches today is that we know... Um, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 16, before I get to that. Romans 16, verse number 19. So here Paul, as he ends this book, says, For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Now, there's a... A mentality out there that people have that says, well, look, if I'm going to reach somebody, I better know what their life is like. I better know everything about their sin. I, I need to understand it so that I can relate to them and bring them to, the, bring them to Christ. Uh, there, that, that's not exactly at all. Uh, that's actually polar opposite from what Paul's saying here in verse number 19 of Romans 16. He's like, look, you don't have to know everything about their sin. Um, you don't have to be experts in that. And uh, the issue is, our, our churches sometimes today, we're, we're filled with Christians who know more about sports and entertainment and the music of this world, the fashion of this world, and the other things of this world, and we're sadly, sadly ignorant of the internal truths of God's holy word. And that is sad. God wants us to be wise concerning that which is good, and simple concerning that which is evil. And I'm not saying, look, you can't ever watch a, a sports game and you can't ever... I, I'm not trying to, you know, be crazy and obnoxious on this, but I am saying, look, if we know more about the things of this world and we really don't know much about the Bible, our priorities are wrong. God is calling us to separate from the world and, and a healthy church is filled with people who are willing to do that. Uh, Hosea chapter 4 and verse number 6 said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Again, we know all the things. We know what actors were in what movies. And we know who sings what songs. And we know all of these things. But we don't know the basics of the Word of God. And no wonder the Bible says here, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. God says, I will also reject thee. Thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. So what I'm encouraging everyone to do tonight is what the hymn writer wrote. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth 
will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Stop trying to find your satisfaction in things of this world and start making sure that we're finding our satisfaction in things that are of eternal value. Be willing to separate from the world. I know the world has a stronghold and it's, it's got a pretty strong pull in each of our lives. But God does want us to be willing to separate and to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Fourthly, the fourth attribute of a healthy church uh, tonight is a healthy church is willing to serve. A healthy church is willing to serve. Back in Romans chapter 12, in verse number 4, he says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we... Being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. And it goes on down and begins to talk about the spiritual gifts in verses 6 through verse number 8. And uh, verse number 11, it says, not slothful, in, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. A healthy church is filled with people willing to pitch in and serve. And uh, first of all, we need to be willing to serve the Lord. Uh, be willing to serve the Lord. I think of uh, the way Paul starts this whole book back in Romans chapter 1. We read it at the beginning of the message. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. He said, the first, the first title I want is servant. We had a, uh, we had a man in our church in California, um, Brother Bill Durfee. He was uh, retired when we got to know him. And uh, what he did is he went to uh, basically senior centers and, and had ministries there once a week. And he kind of developed this little circuit every week. He'd go to a certain, uh, he'd go to a certain rest home and, and have a service. And, and uh, he played the guitar. And he was, he was a godly man, a faithful man. And uh, he, he actually made a, a little, you know, a little name tag for himself, a little, uh, one of those things that you pin on your shirt. And it said, uh, Bill Durfee, a servant of Jesus Christ. That was what he put on his, maybe he put convalescent ministry, and then he put a servant of Jesus Christ. That was his title. I thought, man, what a, what a great title to have. You know, more important than any other title we could have in this life is a servant of Jesus Christ. And uh, that's what the Apostle Paul said that he was. He said, you know, yes, I'm an apostle, but more than that, I'm a, I'm a servant. Now, what a privilege it is to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is a good God to serve. And uh, He does uh, indeed reward those who serve Him. In his book, 70 Times 7, The Freedom of Forgiveness, um, there's a story of General William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army. And uh, Brother Booth here lost his eyesight. His son, Bramwell, was given the difficult task of telling his father that there would be no recovery. Do you mean that I am blind? The general asked. I hear we must contemplate that, his son replied. And the father continued, I shall never see your face again? No, probably not in this world. Well, Bramwell, said General Booth, I have done what I could for God and for his people with my eyes. Now I shall do what I can for God without my eyes. You see, General Booth decided that he was going to serve the Lord no matter what 
came into his life. And uh, I want to encourage us all uh, to uh, realize the privilege it is to serve the Lord and to not make excuses to serve the Lord. A healthy church is willing to serve the Lord, and it's also willing to serve in the local church. In the local church. And um, again, verses 4 through 8, we have here the different spiritual gifts that are given. Um, And this is one of the great places in Scripture where we learn about these spiritual gifts that God gives to believers at the moment of their salvation. The moment you and I got saved was the moment that God gave you a spiritual gift. You say, what is it? I don't know. The Lord does, and it's up to you to kind of figure out what that is. Um, But each and every one of us uh, have one of these gifts, and, and, and each of these gifts was given to be used within the context of a local church. These weren't used to just, I mean, certainly you could use them in your family, but, but they were meant to be part of the local church. And uh, as Paul's writing here about these spiritual gifts, he's writing to a church. And so your spiritual gifts need to be exercised in a local church. You need to be involved in a local church. Again, as I mentioned, not really jokingly, but... If you don't have a place to serve, come see me. We want to get you plugged in. God has given you a spiritual gift to use to benefit the body of believers that God has assembled here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. So a healthy church is willing to serve. Moving on, last thought here. Tonight, a healthy church is willing to submit to authority. A healthy church is willing to submit to authority. Uh, The other points weren't so bad. This one. I don't like this one as much. This one is just as important, though. Look in chapter 13. Look in verse number 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever, therefore, resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Uh, we live in a day when people question authority all the time. We, we, we live in a day where rebellion is really championed and cheered on, where we fight against the status quo. And boy, aren't they cheered on for doing wonderful things. Can I remind us all tonight that lack of submission is still called rebellion? According to 1 Samuel chapter 15, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. That shows us the seriousness of rebellion. And instead of cheering it on in our society, we ought to say, whoa, you're in dangerous territory when you start rebelling against authority in your life. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And then this one. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. 
Sometimes we kind of brag on our stubbornness. Oh, I'm just stubborn. And I can, can I just share this with you? I'm five-eighths German. And uh, Germans are known for their stubbornness. And uh, we kind of say that, you know, hey, well, I'm just German, and that's just who I am. <laughs> uh, well, stubbornness is still as iniquity and idolatry. And uh, as Samuel's talking here to Saul, he said, Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. This is a, an important truth for us to remember, especially young people. You think, man, I can't wait till I get out on my own, then I get to do whatever I want to do. I can eat ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I can get all the candy I want to get. It's going to be great just having all that freedom. I want to let you know a, a truth that we all need to remember, and that is this. We will always be under authority. There's never going to come a point in your life when you will not be under some type of authority. So you better get used to it. You better come, come to terms with the fact that you will always be under authority and that you need to have a submissive attitude towards authority. There's a lot of different authorities that we need to submit to in our lives. I think, first of all, we need to submit to the ultimate authority, and that is God. James 4, in verse number 6, talks. he says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And then he says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So as God is trying to lead and guide us, are you willing to submit to Him? There's a verse we read as a family in our Bible, Bible time this past week. He says, Be not as the horse or the mule which have no understanding. And they need that bit and bridle to get them to obey. Are you as stubborn as a mule when God is trying to move you and direct your life? How long does it take for you to submit to Him and to His leadership in your life? We need to submit to God. And if you're fighting God on some area tonight, I don't know what it is. Submit to Him. A healthy church is willing to submit to authority. And ultimately, we need to submit to God. I think secondly about government. God has placed us under government. And, and uh, you, know, you may agree or disagree with who's in charge right now in the different offices of government. That's not really the issue whether you agree or not agree or not agree. Um, the issue is whether you're willing to submit to the laws that they have uh, put in place. Uh, Romans chapter 13, which we just read a moment ago, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. There's no power, uh, but a, there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. So every person placed in a position of authority in our lives has been placed there by God. And when we resist those people... We're ultimately resisting God is what this passage is teaching. Peter also hits on this in his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Does that mean the speed limit? Yeah, that means the speed limit. Here's looking at me, Eric. <laughs> Are you listening, Eric? 
By the way, most of these messages are not directed to you. They're directed to me. <laughs> you just get to hear me preach to me. Hopefully, the Lord uses it in your life too, but hopefully, I'm listening. But every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. So we're to submit to government authority as well in our lives. Again, whether you agree or disagree with who's in office and their policies. Now there does come a point in Acts chapter 5, we ought to obey God rather than men. There does come a point when a law is given that goes against the word of God that we need to choose to obey God rather than men. But if it does not go against the word of God, then let's submit to it. Let's not have a spirit of rebellion and trying to fix every law just because we are. it goes against our preference. So a healthy church is willing to submit to authority, to God, to government. I think also in the home, uh, there's authority placed in the home. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, and then wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. And then just in case husbands think, wow, that's a great passage of Scripture. Why don't you preach on that a little further? <laughs> uh, we're, the next verse says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So we're to lovingly lead our, our wives, but, but, but wives, we need you to submit to us. And this is what God has set up in his word. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Again, when you're, when you're not submitting yourselves unto your husbands, what you are doing is ultimately rebelling against God. Because God has given the command here, for this to happen. And so when you don't submit to your own husbands, what's happening is you're saying, God, I, I don't want to submit to your leadership. And uh, no husband is here in here is going to say, well, look, I'm always worthy to be followed and submitted unto. Uh, that is absolutely the furthest thing from the truth. No husband ever feels like he's worthy. But it's the way it, God has set up the home, and we need to follow that. Like it or not. And it says, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And uh, if there's a, again, if, if you balk at that, what you're doing is you're balking at God. And uh, that's a dangerous place to be. So in the home, we see here between husbands and wives. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, as it ends that passage on marriage, it goes into children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Children, it's good for you to obey and honor your parents. You want it to be well with you. You want your life to be uh, long and, and, uh, and, and, and blessed. God says, when you obey and honor your parents, that's a promise that I'm giving you, God says, that I will bless you with long and a blessed life. 
And that's why, parents, it's important for us to encourage and make our children obey us. There is a lot of parents in our day and age that don't make their kids obey. They kind of give the choice to their own children, and, and uh, you know, they kind of end up obeying their, the parents end up obeying their children, and the children throw a temper tantrum long enough that the parents submit to the children. And uh, we're doing our children a big disservice on that. Uh, because if you love your children and you want them to live a long and blessed life, you're going to make them uh, obey and honor you. And again, children, it's not just enough to have the right actions. We need to have the right attitude. Obedience is the right action. Honoring is the right attitude. And God wants us to have both. So there's a spirit of submission that needs to be present in the home. Uh, also at work, there needs to be a, uh, a spirit of submission. Ephesians chapter number 6, as it continues on. Here Paul t- talks to those who are working and, and even slaves in that, mo- in that time. He says, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service, again, as to the Lord and not to men. So be obedient to them that are your masters. You may not like your boss and everything that he does or she does, uh, but submit. That's... That's God's plan for you. And I know that maybe at times it's difficult, but, but God wants you to do that, to have a spirit of submission. And then also at church, uh, we need to have a spirit of submission at church as well. And I hesitate to go through this, uh, obviously, but uh, this is biblical, and so I'm going to. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 7, Remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And then Hebrews 13, verse 17, so 10 verses later, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. And as they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. The truth of the matter is, one day I'm going to have to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account for Cornerstone Baptist Church and for the time that I had here. That's a very sobering thought. And at that moment, and I don't understand how it's all going to work, but here's what, again, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, that they may do it with joy, and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. If I have to stand before Christ and say, Well, here's what happened in our church. And if there's some grief that I have to give in that moment, it's not going to be profitable for you. And again, I don't understand how it's all going to play out and look like in that moment, but I believe that it's going to come to pass in some way. And so I would encourage us to maintain a spirit of submission. Again, not because it's me, but because... It's what God's Word teaches. And uh, we need to be obedient to, again, the Lord. So a healthy church is willing to submit to authority. And I know that there's a lot of the, the generation that's rising up is, is trying to question authority and, 
and, uh, and, and this whole society is, you know, applauding it, and what wonderful things are happening because people are questioning authority and breaking from the status quo. That's a dangerous thing. Uh, we need to be submissive to the authority, not rebellious against them. So, tonight from the, from the church at Rome, we learn five important qualities um, of a healthy church. So are these qualities true of us as a church? Are we sharing our faith? Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to separate from the world? Are we willing to serve the Lord and in our local church? Are we willing to submit to authority? Again, as we've gone through these, I hope the answer is yes. But it will only be so if we are individually willing to share our faith if we are individually willing to sacrifice, if we are individually willing to separate from this world, if we are individually willing to serve and individually willing to submit. So as I ask the question, are these qualities true of us as a church? I'd like to ask the next question, are these qualities true of you as a part of this body? If not, I hope that they will be.